the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Life is filled with both sunshine and storms. But without God's navigation, souls can easily become spiritually shipwrecked. Anchored in Christ is a weekly broadcast that ministers the scriptures so we can know Christ the Savior and enjoy salvation, security, strength, and stability found only in Him as we set sail through life's marvelous journey. Here's Pastor David Kahiwat. Mark 3, 13-21. The scripture says, And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sickness, and to cast devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into an house, and the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Today we're going to speak on this message I've entitled, The Making of the Disciples. This passage of scripture describes the creation of Christ's special circle of followers. This compilation of characters is most affectionately known as the Twelve Disciples. This event mentioned in the Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke should always elicit a deep interest for us because of the incredible benefit these few men have presented to the world. The names of a few Jewish fishermen and social outcasts are known and embraced by millions spanning the globe throughout the halls of history. Many kings and rich men have been lost and forgotten in history. But these Jewish 12 will continue to impact the souls of men into eternity. Psalm 112, verse number 6, the latter part of that verse tells us, the righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. Now at this juncture of Christ's earthly ministry, crowds were flocking around him. Uh, Had he sought celebrity status, he would have catered to them and tried to please them. But instead, we find that Jesus withdrew into a mountain, away from the eyes of the world, and he began to invest himself in a small circle of men who would impact generations. Here we find Jesus creating his circle of 12. 
to be intimately associated with him and with the exception of one unsavory individual. They were destined to become his witnesses after his death and resurrection and to be sent out to continue his ministry after his ascension. These were the 12 disciples of which 11 became apostles. Is there a difference? Yes. An apostle is one who had personally witnessed the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ in the flesh and who was divinely appointed with authority from Jesus Christ to perform miracles and to preach the gospel in order to continue the ministry of our Lord. Disciples, however, are students or followers. There are no more apostles today because no one has seen Jesus Christ in the flesh since his ascension. So no such, there's no such thing as apostolic succession as some claim. But there are a multitude and numerous number of disciples still available. We, like the twelve, ought to be followers like they, with the exception of Judas, which unfortunately some emulate his form of worship. In this passage, I want us to look at the making of the twelve. And the first thing I like for us to see is this, the invitation by the Savior. The invitation by the Savior. In verse number 13, we find where it says, And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him. It's very important to note that Jesus first summoned these men to respond before he selected them for responsibility. He called unto him. That word called means to summons by invitation. Jesus never forced these men to come to him. He never mandated their response. He invited them to himself which gives the indication that they had to make a decision. It was a choice that they made to come to him. Who were these 12? Well, there are at least six out of the number who first called, uh, whose first call to follow Jesus is specifically recorded. These six are Peter and Andrew, James and John, and Philip and Matthew. And there's little doubt that 11 of the apostles, first disciples and then became apostles, little doubt that they were converted before they were ordained. It is of vital importance, especially to those placed in ministries, that those who serve Christ and the church first be called by the Savior to salvation and then called by His Spirit to service. This is what happened to these disciples who became apostles. They were first converted and then commissioned. Too many religions have it the wrong way around. They claim that men are to commit good works in order to be converted, but that is not so. And we've talked about that many times. Faith in Christ comes before works for Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For 
We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. An unconverted preacher is unfit for his office because he cannot speak experientially of that grace, mercy, and love of which he has never tasted himself. He cannot call and beg on souls for that new birth in Christ, which he himself has not seen a need to receive. There's no greater damage to the cause of Christ than unconverted, unregenerated, unregenerated preachers and so-called even disciples of Christ. They're still on the side of the infidel. They still bring joy to the devil and are still an offense to God. Jeremiah 23 verses 1 and 2 says, Woe unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my sheep, ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit you upon you the evil of your doing, saith the Lord. And then in verses 11 and 12 says, For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house have I found their wickedness, saith the Lord. Wherefore, their ways shall be unto them as slippery ways in the darkness. They shall be driven on and fall therein, for I will bring evil upon them, even the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. Only one of the twelve was like that servant spoken of by Jeremiah, and you know his name, Judas. The other eleven first responded and were converted. And notice in verse number 13, the phrase says, and they came unto him. You ought to underline or circle or highlight that word came. It's a very interesting word. That word indicates that the listeners departed from and moved towards. It doesn't say that they go to the Savior. It says that they came to him which meant that the listeners responded and came to the speaker. And who were they? Well, we find these 12 in verse, starting in verse 16. The first one mentioned is Simon, surnamed Peter. Christ knew that Peter's energetic passion, fervency of spirit fitted him for a special way of leadership after he was endued with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. His ministry, as we know, was primarily to the Jews, although it was he who paved the way of faith to the Gentiles by proclaiming the gospel in the house of Cornelius. And then we uh, read of James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and they are surnamed Boanerges. It means sons of thunder. When Jesus gave a new name to anyone, it indicated some characteristic that he saw in that, that person or them, uh, or which he would produce in them in days to come. These two brothers, evidently being called sons of thunder, were fiery men. They were impactful men, maybe had an electric personality, I don't know, but they 
were men who committed readily to decisive action, quick like lightning. And then we read about Andrew, the brother of Peter, and it was he who led Peter to Christ, um, uh, brought him to Jesus, as we are told in John chapter 1, verses 40 and 42. And then, of course, we read of Philip and Bartholomew. Bartholomew is also named Nathaniel, and they are linked together. They are friends and they, uh, before they met Jesus, and it was Philip who introduced Nathaniel to the Savior. Matthew also we know as Levi. He was a tax collector in the Roman custom house of Capernaum, but he left all to follow Jesus. Now we read of Thomas. We're not given much of Thomas's earlier life. He's chiefly remembered for doubting Jesus Christ's resurrection and the identity and reality of the risen Savior. But we also read about him as he confessed and worshipped his Lord and God when he uh, appeared uh, to Thomas a few days later. James and Thaddeus, or Judas, not Iscariot, were brothers, sons of Alphaeus, and apparently were blood cousins of Jesus Christ. And then we read of Simon the Canaanite. We also know him as Simon the Zealot, who belonged to a radically subversive party that was trying to overthrow the Roman rule. And then the last on this list that we find is Judas Iscariot, who we read, or we have read, was the one doomed to eternal infamy. He seems to have been a gentleman, always seems to be that calm one of the twelve, a man of culture, appointed to be the treasurer of this little company, therefore one who was trusted by the rest as deserving some form of recognition, but who proved to be unreal, proved to be hypocritical from the very get-go. And sadly, in this passage of Scripture, we find that he is Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. A betrayer. And the one, later on, whom Jesus declared, one of you is a devil. There's a principle we can learn. That not all those who claim to be disciples are. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus saith unto them, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he which doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. For many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Judas was a Matthew 7, 21 to 23 kind of guy. Are you a painted candle? Do you proclaim Jesus Christ? Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do people know that you are a believer of Jesus Christ? Or are you merely a painted candle. Thirdly, I want you to see 
that he expected them to be spiritual laborers. He expected them to be spiritual laborers. In verse number 15, the Bible says, and to have power to heal sicknesses. When Jesus gave them authority and power to heal sicknesses, that was prior to the canonization and the written uh, word of God being completed. And so these were works that he gave to the disciples to authenticate the message. Now that we have the scriptures, there's no need to authenticate the message through works and spiritual wonders. However, a disciple of Christ doesn't only preach with words, but also preaches with works. The disciples were given authority over sickness and diseases, as mentioned in Matthew 10, but that was to authenticate the message. But we can be used of God to bring comfort and alleviate sorrow and to encourage those who are hurting. Are we known as counselors? Are we known as comforters? Are we known as peacemakers? Are we known as helpers and friends to all as Jesus is? Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 says, Be ye therefore followers or imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Are we doing what we can to help other people to minister to those that are out there hurting? Only through the power of God can we be that kind of servant that heals the hurting soul. Are you ministering to others or are you the one who seeks to be ministered unto? We disciples today have been given the authority and the power to serve others. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. I ask you this question, who outside of your expected immediate family have you served recently? And then number four. Number four. What else did Jesus expect of his disciples? He expected them to oppose spiritual wickedness. Look in verse number 15, says, and to cast out devils. J.C. Ryle on this passage of scripture said, like the apostles, a faithful servant must oppose every work of the devil. Though perhaps not called now to cast out evil spirits from the body, he must be ever ready to resist the devil's devices and to denounce his snares of the soul. He must expose the tendency of gambling, drunkenness, and sensual gratifications. Every age has its own particular temptations. Many are the devices of Satan, but whatever be the direction in which the devil is most busy, there ought to be the servant to be, excuse me, there, there ought the minister to be ready to confront and withstand him. We, as disciples of Jesus Christ, are in a daily warfare. Scripture says in Ephesians 6, verse number 12, 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Servants of the Most High God should be able to discern good and evil. And the devil is the master at disguising and mingling the two. We are in a daily spiritual warfare, and thus we are expected to engage the battle. Sadly, not enough disciples are engaging the battle. We are to fight the spiritual battles both within ourselves and outside. And these battles cannot be fought nor won without our Savior's help. John 15, 5, for without me ye can do nothing. And so we are encouraged to arm ourselves and to put on the whole armor of God, whereby we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I ask you, are you putting on the armor of God? When the scripture tells us to put on the armor of God, it never says to take it off. We must arm ourselves with scripture, the word of God. Launch constant prayers to the holy altar. We are to put on the whole armor of God and be protected. So, are we engaged in the warfare? Number one, we see the invitation by the Savior. Number two, the expectation of the Savior. The th- number three, I want you to see the misconception by society. The misconception by society. When Jesus made this group his disciples and ordained them to serve, he was misunderstood. There was a misconception of him. Look in verse number 20. It says, And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. Of course, there was a a flocking of people around Jesus Christ. Most of them came to see a miracle, to be entertained. But verse 21 is very interesting and very telling. It says, And when his friends you gotta underline and circle that word when his friends heard of it it wasn't his enemies it wasn't the mockers it wasn't the haters when his friends heard of it they went out to lay hold on him for they said he is beside himself they went out to take custody of him get him off the streets to get his unreasonable teaching off the street so as not to pervert any more minds. And they described Jesus as that crazy man being beside himself. And you know, this should not be a surprise. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Festus said of Paul's knowledge of Christ, he said, much learning doth make thee mad. I felt that way in college. Few things show the corruption of human nature more clearly than the unbeliever's inability to grasp an obedient Christian's passion and commitment to Christ. Unbelievers can be passionate and committed to things that really don't matter. To money, 
sports, education, careers, but to have a, a passionate and committed life wholly to Jesus Christ is to be labeled a fanatic or a freak. If a person is committed to a career or ambition, he's called diligent and focused. But to wear the robes of Christianity outwardly is labeled weak-minded. Jesus knows the bitterness of our rejections because ultimately they are rejecting him, not us. Let's just bear patiently the unreasonableness of unbelievers just as Jesus did, who said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So I close with this. The responsibility of servants, of disciples, is a weighty one. As servants for Christ, as ministers in the church, we cannot take our responsibilities lightly. The responsibility of Sunday school teachers is great. So pray for them. The responsibility of our deacons is heavy. So pray for them and with them. And while the operation and function of a church ministry is heavy, there is a greater responsibility than the mere operation and function. We believers are all servants who are appointed to preach with our lips and with our lives. We believers are all servants who are appointed to serve one another. We disciples are all followers of Christ who are to see and oppose the subtle workings and opposition of spiritual wickedness. And we as disciples are to respond to his call and we are all in the battle. So pray for one another. Pray. Pray that we all engage in the battle. That we would all be soldiers of the cross. Pray, pray, pray. You've been listening to Anchored in Christ with Pastor David Kahiwat. For more information, visit anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. Tune in next week at the same time for Anchored in Christ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.